I played in my first MPO tournament, and also probably my last. Let's explain why on this episode of the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast. Are you ready to elevate your disc golf game to new heights? Look no further introducing Upper Park Disc Golf Bags, the ultimate choice for disc golf enthusiasts. Designed with precision and crafted for durability, Upper Park Bags are your perfect companion for any disc golf adventure. Stay organized with spacious compartments and easy access pockets for all of your discs and gear. But wait, there is more. Use this exclusive promo code CLANKERS10 at checkout for an amazing 10% off your purchase. Experience the ultimate in comfort and functionality. Plus, you're going to be looking styling out on the course with Upper Park Disc Golf bags. Upgrade your game today before summer is over. It is not too late to seize your victory out on the course. This is a limited time offer that won't last. Head to Upper Park Disc Golf and get yourself a bag using promo code CLANKERS10. Again, you can go to www.upperparkdiscgolf.com. Use promo code CLANKERS10 for your 10% discount. This episode is not very well thought out. This episode is not me with 17 bullet points that I'm going to go through. This episode's really going to be a lot of talking about my first tournament experience of the season, why I decided to play an MPO, why this is probably my last MPO tournament, and just some potential rule changes coming in 2024. There's some debates that are going to be in this episode that I'm going to read from some folk on Instagram. I We couldn't get the a link to work, and so we couldn't get a voice message. I'll explain more when we get there. Before we get going, thank you guys for listening to this episode and continuing to support us. If you're not following us on TikTok and Instagram, at Golf would be much appreciated over there we're working striving to make you a better disc golfer and if you want content that is going to make you a better disc golfer every single day or just relatable disc golf content you need to be following us it's like podcasts but you're getting it in a much quicker version right you were really teaching one concept and helping you improve every single day. It's been amazing working and coaching some people recently and just watching them improve. So we want to see you improve. So go do that over at our TikTok and Instagram, Chanklinkers Disc Golf. Um, Also, one caveat before really diving into this, I just wanted it to be known, we still want disc golf to grow. So every argument I'm about to make in the rest of this episode, understand the growth of disc golf is good, And I am in a stance where we want to grow the sport. That is why we do this brand, because we want to see the sport grow. Let's get into the tournament that I played in. So I played in the Brook uh, MPO. This was put on in Wichita, Kansas. It's at Millbrook uh, Park here in town. Uh, I would say it's a pretty easy course. It definitely does not offer a ton of technical challenge. There's a couple of holes, like hole 5, hole 11, that you have to get correct. The folk who kind of overwatch that course have done a fantastic job elevating this course. There's hole 9, I believe, and hole 12. Both have island-ish greens. Hole 12 is definitely is an island. 
where and you're playing as hazard if you don't make the island and then hole nine it's almost kind of like a peninsula maybe everything to the left is safe but really everything to the right is ob and they've created that by just letting the grass continue to grow and thank you to the city for allowing that to happen that also then impacts holes 14 15 so there's a lot more uh ob that's been created that has elevated that course in my opinion um, it, it is when I say it's an easy course, I mean, we can just look at the scores. The winner in MPO shot 14 down. So you, it's scorable. I mean, that's averaging a seven down. That's pretty scorable, right? Um, so I'll just kind of really quick get into who won this tournament and shout out to our boy, uh, Jared Christ. He came on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago or whatever it was. And we heard about his journey in disc golf and how he's coming to Wichita and he's going to be playing some local tournaments here. And by golly, the guy went out there and took this one home with a score of 14 down. Him and Jordan Schaefer went to a five-hole playoff and it was electric to watch. Uh, Those two dudes are really amazing at disc golf, so it was fantastic watching them. And so we'll get my score out of the way. I ended at even, very disappointed. I did this tournament with my brother-in-law, Horatio, who we started this podcast and brand together. And he kind of was like, hey, I want to play one tournament this year. Let's play this one. And so I decided I would do it. I initially was going to sign up for intermediate because that's what I played last year. I hadn't played any tournaments this year, so I was going to do that. He was like, no, let's play an MPO. And I think that was a fantastic decision that we played in MPO. Just to name a couple of guys that were on my card in the first round was Chris Smith, who recently is coming off a world championship win, as well as Jordan Schaefer. And Smitty came in third. Schaefer came in second. Uh, two amazing players to play with and, and learn from and just kind of see how they walk through the course. Amazing players on my card the entire day those two just really stuck out to me and it was very fun watching them throw some plastic around for sure learn some new things and how to attack holes differently which i think is the reason that i'm happy overall playing in mpo is that i learned a lot about myself and i learned that i'm not that far out of the league of these players there was never really a moment where i was like wow I simply cannot do what they're doing. I am in a league that I shouldn't be, which felt really good because I was kind of going into that expecting it to be like, well, I can't throw as far as these guys. I can't putt like these guys can. These guys are going to absolutely wipe the floor with me. I just hope I don't come in last. And so to not have that happen felt really good and it just kind of unlocks something in me that I know there's more in the tank. And this is something I talked about last year playing tournaments. I know there's something more in the tank. I know I can continue to improve. And I know if I play another tournament, keyword, if I play another tournament, I need to play an MPO. And we've had pros who've come on this podcast and have said, if you want to improve your game, you need to elevate who you're playing with. You need to play up, not play down and that really sank in this week and I know I had we have given that tip and heard that from other players and and that really sank in this weekend and I get it I really do see 
the point of playing up and surrounding yourself with that competition. You got to have the you got to be on that gas pedal the whole time. There is no let up. There is no you can let your mind wander. Every hole is a birdieable hole, and so you really got to go out there and keep going. As well as there's just another level of professionalism to the game. You know, I noticed that no one's talking during your backswing. No one's talking while you're putting. Like, it's serious, but there's also fantastic conversation going on. And so the professionalism also made it very enjoyable to play in. So I would see myself continuing to want to play in MPO. Now, of course, the downside is the buy-in is quite a bit. I mean, I think this tournament was 50 and then you've got another $10 for not having a PDGA membership. And so it's like 62 after taxes and fees. So a little bit more on the pricey side for just two rounds of disc golf, in my opinion. Maybe that's fine to you, but for me and my finances and what's going on in my life, that is a little pricey to justify, which kind of goes into the point of why I don't have a PDJ membership. And I, I messaged, I put something out on Instagram about this and had some fantastic conversations with people. I don't have a PDJ membership because that's a $300 investment, right? It's like 50 bucks for the membership and then it's another... 50 bucks for five MPO tournaments to make it worth the membership for not paying uh, for for the membership. And so that's $300 right there. I understand you get more benefits, and I'm going to try to get Trenton on so that we can talk about this in more detail. But I understand the benefits. There's others, like I think there's the DGN, you get x amount off and i i get that but none of those move the needle enough for me personally to make it worth it do i want to see the pdga have success absolutely do i want to see disc golf have success and continue to grow absolutely but i think it's also important to know where your dollars are going towards and what impact it's actually having as well as that is a big commitment for me right now in everything that's going on and so i i just can't find it in me right now to commit to that. I'm not saying I won't in the future. I'm just saying right now in the current situation, that's just how I feel. Um, as well as I have been really focusing on improving my overall health and developing skills. So that way when I play in tournament, it is worth it. And if I'm playing in these MPO events, I can hopefully cash. So if we just kind of look at the cash here, last cash was a tie for eighth. And those players received $21. So they received a little bit less than half of their buy-in. Sixth, they got 55. So they made $5. So then we're coming to third before you're making any money where they tied and each got 97. Second got 159 and first got 234. So I know for me to make a return on investment, and, and guys, listen, I'm an accountant. I deal with numbers every day. I look at economic decisions every single day. So to me, this is just another economic decision. I know that I have to get to the point where I am good enough to finish third or better in MPO in the local area to make it worth my investment. So therefore, I need to continue to develop and work on my skills to get to that point and it's not worth blowing cash doing that when I can do that out on the course, when I can do that out on the field, when I can do things that will help me get to that point. So that's a lot of rambling on that. I'll talk about my score in my two rounds now. So first round, I shot a 51. I was three down. 
And then everything just kind of imploded in the second round, and I shot a 57, and so I was plus three. So ended the tournament even, so 14 strokes off the lead, and cash line, I was nine strokes off the off the cash line, which is annoying because at the break, at the end of round one, I was one stroke off the cash line. So all I needed to do was have a, a relatively decent, better next round, and I was going to be flirting with cashing. And so the first round, it went pretty well. Um, my first shot of the day, I leaked a little bit left, ended up in a tree, it was a putt that I could have made and probably should have made, didn't do it. Okay, so I walk away with a par, and that kind of was the detail for the entirety of the round, was I would put myself in a position to make a putt, and I would cage the putt. And to be fair, something I was very proud of myself, I was never getting mad at that. Maybe I should have been. But I wasn't. I wasn't frustrated that I was caging the putts. I honestly was like, you know what, dude? That was a really good bid. And I know personally I haven't been able to practice putt outside at home as much as I would have liked to. And so, therefore, I knew I didn't have the putting practice going in that would have then made me more frustrated to be missing those. I was working on changing a lot in my putt the week coming into the tournament, trying to focus on not throwing it as hard, not putting it as hard, and thus giving it more of a catch feel and an opportunity to go into the basket. And I probably caged six putts in that first round, and they were all for birdie. And the good thing about that is my par putts, the furthest one was two feet. So I never had a stressful par, which was amazing. That really did a lot mental game-wise. That felt good. I never had a stressful par, so that was great. But the frustrating part of that is if I convert those five or six, and I'm shooting down eight, down nine, and that's tying for the lead. So I know it's in there. I know the ability to do that is in there. Just overall was not making any of those putts. I felt like I was driving really well. My form felt good in the first round. There was a big thing that I saw in tape of me on my form and how my back arm isn't driving my throw. It's lagging behind and sticking out too much. And so therefore I'm limiting my spin and not allowing myself to throw as accurately or as far. And so that was something I really was trying to commit to. And it's hard to make that. I, I only noticed that the day before the tournament when making some TikTok content. And so it's really hard to try to fix that mid-tournament, but I was feeling great at the first round. So happy. Overall, I left the first round feeling very happy. I took control of the box going into hole 13, and I didn't let it up for the rest of the round. So, yeah, I'm counting that as a win. I felt very good going into round two and seeing that I was one off of cash line. I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can make this happen. I, I missed six putts out there. Like this can happen. And then lunch hit Horatio and I, we had our lunch. We just kind of chilled outside under a tree. I don't know if I just smelled bad or what was going on, man, but I was just getting eaten up by flies and other bugs and and it was just so annoying. I just kept dousing myself in bug spray and it did not help. And that just kind of, lingered going into the second round, just finding myself mentally not 
in that round, I found myself thinking about other things too much, thinking about the the bugs on me, how my legs might be itching, how it's so hot. I mean, it was 100 degrees this entire tournament. In the first round, I did a fantastic job of not going through my water supply too quickly. And so I still had about a fourth left of my canteen by the time the round was over. And that in the second round was not the case. I was out of water through nine. And there were a couple of times where we had a little bit of a backup. We were waiting for a couple of minutes and that just allowed me to have more opportunity to chug water down and I was so frustrated that I was out of water. Thankfully, a very nice individual on our card gave me a bottle of water. And so that kind of was a, I had to make it work for the end. And so mentally, I just wasn't there. And the reason that that all also kind of started was I was starting on hole three, which should be a birdie and hole four should be a birdie and hole five. You just are hoping to get a par and hole three I first round went backhand and I did get the birdie and then my forehand was feeling pretty good. I threw the forehand a lot in the first round and it was feeling pretty good and literally five minutes before we got going, I threw a practice shot that was a forehand and it was great. I was parked and so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna do that. That's feeling good and it was definitely the first throw jitters for whatever reason got to me and I put it into the ground a lot earlier than I wanted to, which pretty much left me with like a 65-footer par at best, which that's what it ended up being. Hole four, I threw my putter straight at it. It's a short shot, 250 maybe, maybe even less. Straight shot, just get your putter close, try to put it in, try to be flashy. And my putter just kind of flipped up. I, I yanked on it too much, and I sent it too far to the right leaving me with another circle to look and couldn't connect. And so now I'm like, wow, that's a pretty bad start. Par, par. And I saw a couple of guys on my card go birdie, birdie. And I was like, mm, that's tough. We definitely just flipped positions. And I don't think the like position really got in my head. But score-wise, I was like, wow, that's dang, that's tough. So then hole five, it's a very tight-wooded hole. And you have to clear, I don't know, 100 feet, maybe. And there's a lot of trees and branches in, in the way. And so if you hit any of those and you don't pass the, the cutoff point, then you're out of bounds and you'd go to the drop zone. And so I threw a forehand there like I did in the first round. First round went fine. Got across the line safely. It ended up being a par. And then... The negative thing, though, this time was I hit a tree and I was out of bounds. I didn't get past the line. And so that kind of got into my head. And then hole six was not a good throw. It was way early into the ground. Not Didn't even give myself a chance for a birdie. And so now it's par, par, bird, or par, par, bogey, par. And I was not feeling good. Um was feeling pretty bad about it, and that just kind of continued. I just wasn't really feeling good with any of my throws. My form started to feel off. I kind of felt like I was starting to lose my legs from out underneath me, and something I struggled with a lot in the past, especially during the summer, is cramping, and that's why I wanted to make a big emphasis on being a healthier person this summer, 
and going to the gym, eating right, all those kinds of things. And I had a liquid IV to start my morning and a liquid IV at lunchtime. And I didn't cramp, but I just could kind of feel myself getting a little bit more tired, the heat just bearing down. And I could kind of start to feel it and kind of start to lose my legs. I probably started overcompensating on my form and not throwing the disc as well. And the putting still just kind of remained close, but not great. Caging, a lot of everything, and just unable to convert circle two. I know I'm a big, like, if I'm making my circle two putts, I'm going to have a great round. If I'm not making my circle two putts, it's, it's not going to be a great round. And I needed to put a great round together in order to cash. And after the first five holes, I was like, ah, man, this is not a great round, which then kind of led me into the the falling apart mentally and starting to think about other things and just didn't help. And so then we get to hole nine and trying to paint the picture. It's like a 280-ish foot hole, but 30 feet around the basket for short, right, and long is OB. The left is all safe. And I switched up my disc from the first round and I threw a disc in which I have parked the hole before. And I was like, okay, I really need a birdie. I'm, I'm going to throw this disc, this mid-range. I know if I throw it like I normally do, it should be parked. And it's flight. I thought it was parked. Boys and girls, I, I thought it was parked. And to come up 10 feet maybe, maybe less, short and out of bounds was honestly heartbreaking uh, I then had to walk back 150 feet to where it initially went out of bounds, which led me to a bogey because I didn't throw it in from there. And that was also kind of my moment of like, mm, I know if I've lost at least four strokes to the guy playing the best on our card, and I know how easy it is to score at this course then I've probably am out of it at this point. And again, that continued. The mental game started to kind of go down and down. And I, I, I could definitely tell I was not being as locked in as I was. And nothing too eventful up until hole 13. Well, sorry, hole 12, like that island hole I was telling you about. First round, I threw a forehand. It was it was actually really good. I thought I was OB long, but it was actually great. And then I tried to do it again, and it's just one of those. You know when you throw a forehand and just everything is wrong? You, like, dip your shoulder. You don't throw it very well, and it's just an early high hyzer. It was one of those. It was not good. And I knew that at that point, I was like, wow. And now I'm taking another OB stroke here. Um, I'm out. I'm out. I, I cannot cash. I would have to ace, 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 ace. Like it's, it's realistically it's over. And I stepped up to 13 and put myself in a position, maybe three feet out of position from where I was the first round and caged my putt. And it just continued to lead to this mental inability to play well the next hole I'm walking up to what was an easier putt than I made in round one airballed on a somewhat elevated basket and 
that was tough, went out of bounds on the next hole. And so you could just kind of start to see how the round was starting to fall apart. I, I had one birdie and I had to wait until the final hole to get it. And it was a bad round. And it kind of leads me into uh, the education for this episode. And something that I, I want you guys to take away is there, there's five qualities I think you have to have in a disc golfer that is going to allow you to have a lot of success in playing casually or playing in tournaments. The first one is technical skill, um, you know, throwing techniques, putting accuracy, disc selection the consistency and control of your flights and being able to accurately judge distances, having a variety of shots and being able to overcome course challenges. And I thought my technical skill was okay in the first round. It was very bad in the second round. The putting accuracy was there-ish outside of caging all those putts. I probably caged all in all 11, 12 putts. Yeah, and so you don't do that. It's it, we're having a completely different discussion right now. And so cage all those putts, not good. The next the next thing is mental toughness. This is where I definitely could see my game lacking the most. It, it was the mental toughness. I had absolutely no mental toughness in the second round. I was unable to step up to the pressure. I was unable when things got hard to turn things around and play well. That was something that I struggled with and. It never felt like I was fixated on one specific shot or one specific hole that went wrong, which I'm happy about. That is progress. But it was just the overall, you know, oh man, these last three holes have gone horrible. And just it, and then it, the thoughts of, I don't want to be here. I want water. I want to take a shower. All these different things just then start to creep into your head. And I could tell my mental toughness was completely gone. The third is course management. You know, successful disc golfers understand the importance of course management. They analyze the course layout, identify the best routes for each hole, and adjust their strategy based on the conditions and their skill level. There were definitely a couple of holes that I changed what I was throwing or the actual shot shape because I watched a pro in front of me do something different. And so then I tried to be like, oh, well, if they're doing that, then I should probably be doing that also instead of sticking to my own game plan. I feel like for the drives overall, that didn't really hurt me that bad. I, if anything, it kind of helped me. But I was unable to manage those tougher holes. I was unable to keep it in bounds when I needed to. And you can kind of see how when you're not managing those situations and you're trying to do too dang much – you can end up hurting yourself. The fourth is physical fitness, and I'm really big on this one right now. Disc golf can be physically demanding, especially during multi-round tournaments, and a good disc golfer takes care of their body and maintains a level of physical fitness that allows them to perform consistently throughout the event. That's just the truth. Good stamina, balance, flexibility are assets on the course, and those are things that I'm trying to work on that will allow me to become a better disc golfer and I could tell I was starting to lose my legs because I don't normally play 36 holes in a day in 100 degree weather and so I was unable to be uh, physically there for the entire time and so I definitely will continue to be working on that um, and becoming more of an athlete in how I play disc golf which I know is only going to help me. The fifth and final one is apt to 
adaptability, excuse me, and creativity. A good disc golfer is versatile and creative in their approach, different shots, overcoming course challenges. A good disc golfer can adjust their throwing style, disc selection, and strategy to adapt to a challenging condition or unexpected obstacles on the course. I just was not being creative enough. I was not adapting to the winds. I was just throwing regardless of what the wind was. I didn't care if I didn't care about thinking if I should be throwing a different disc or if I should just stick with the first one I picked. You know what I'm saying? Like I just and I think that goes back to the mental side of things, which I, we through this discussion know there needs to be work on that. So, oh man, I know that's almost 30 minutes worth of me just going in on this tournament and hopefully you guys are still listening and you're getting value out of this. I want to share my experience with you so that way you can have expectations going into your tournament. We want to see you play tournaments and be successful at them if that's what you want to do. If you just want to be successful against your friends, that's fine. If you just want to be successful against yourself and play disc golf because it's good for you and it's healthy and it's good for your mental health, that's awesome. That's what we want to do for you. Whatever your goal in disc golf is, we want you to achieve that and help. And so hopefully hearing some of these stories and hearing some of the the bad things, honestly, that have happened to myself, you will be able to improve your own game. That's honestly what I'm hoping for here. And so I then want to talk about why this might be my last MPO tournament. So there are proposed rule changes for 2024, which I can go over this in depth in another episode if you guys would like and there's this rule here it says competition manual for disc golf events 1.01 player eligibility it says the membership requirement is extended to c tiers with the new d tier allowing non-members to play This ensures that our active members have the best chance to participate in our sanctioned events at C tier and above. So what this means is a you have to have a current PDJ membership in order to play in any major elite A tier, B tier, or C tier event. I can understand that they're doing this because disc golf tournaments do be filling up. That is a thing. And so they want members of the PDGA playing in those. I get that. I really do. And I understand that D tiers will allow for non-members to play. I don't know how many D tiers are going to be accessible. And also, are they the same price as C tiers and B tiers and A tiers? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it $50 for a D tier MPO? And how much cash are you really getting out of that if you do end up cashing? And so I feel like it's going to be harder to get added cash, harder to get sponsors, harder to get good player packs for those D tiers. And so that's just kind of where I'm thinking like, mm, I, I right now cannot get a membership and don't see the justification in it. And so how many D tier options will there really be? I'm interested to see that. Maybe there will be some D tier options and I'll play in some of those. Maybe there's not. And I'll just continue to work on myself and help you guys improve your disc golf games. And We'll see if this rule actually goes into effect or not, as it is just proposed at the time of recording this, but it's just interesting, and I want to ask you guys, if this rule goes into effect and you have to have a membership for C-tiers, would you 
play in any D tiers. If you're a non-member, I'd love to hear if this would make you get a membership. If you're a member and you're like, I'm not for this cash grab anymore, I'm not getting a membership, I, I would love to hear why. And so I want to read off a couple of our some folk who I interacted with over on Instagram. And so the first one here comes from Christopher Sinclair Miller. And he tried to send me a voice message. And my link, I guess, didn't work or we had some technical difficulties. And so it didn't go through. Or, or at least I don't have it. But anyways, here's what he, he... So he said, there's this meme of if you've watched Family Guy, it's the Stewie beating up Brian, and it says that the PDGA is Stewie and Weekend Hackers are Brian. And so it's just, you know, the PDGA is saying, where's my money? You, you got to stop ducking me. And I said, tournament days might be done for me. And so he said, sir, join the PDGA. It's in poor taste to be making money off disc golf and not be a member of the body. I said, look, man, I see your point. And then I outlined why, what I said today. He said, my investment in disc golf is not for tournament golf. My investment in disc golf is for the future of the game, and the future of the game is the PDGA, which is the governing body of the game that I love. So that being said, it becomes very, very easy for me to continue to renew my membership because I'm not so much worried about playing or winning tournaments I'm more invested growing the game and continuing to make sure that you know I organization in our game. Is it going forward or is it moving forward? The reality is that people have been allowed to make money off the PDGA and all of the PDGA has asked is that we buy a membership to support them. We play in sanctioned tournaments and use software and all the PDGA ask is that we pay an extra dollar and have a membership. We run tournaments and lean on the PDGA to support us, and all they ask us to do is buy a membership. We get to see and interact with our favorite pros and watch them play great disc golf, and all the PDGA asks us to do is buy a membership. So to me, a membership is a small price to play to enjoy disc golf. My official rebuttal to that, and I'll start with the last piece of the watching pros, they're uh, yes, they're playing in the elite in major series and the PDJ government. The PDJ ain't doing jack squat for that. Okay, sure they'll put the majors on, and those are mid tournaments at best. We've seen very poor um, performance by the PDJ. I think the World Championships a few years ago in Utah prove um, that you know they're they have mismanaged them. And Jeff Springs and the Disc Golf Pro Tour manages the entire Disc Golf Pro Tour. So if you really want to support the Disc Golf Pro Tour, if anything, you should buy DGN because they're the ones who then, you know, will broadcast it to everybody live. And so I don't see how buying a membership supports them. And also, I don't see where the PDGA is funneling dollars to grow the sport. I would love to see a breakdown of their balance sheet. If I could see a breakdown of the PDGA's balance sheet, then that would change a lot for me, and I, w I think I could maybe justify it. But I want to know what they're spending the money on, and I just am not getting that. So, like, even here, when we look up player or, yeah, member benefits, um, so, yeah, you get 
a disc golfer magazine up to twenty dollars. Who's reading magazines anymore? It's twenty twenty three. I'm not reading a magazine. Um, so as part of your PDGA membership, you are eligible for fifty percent discount on DGN. So I guess that's pretty nice. Members will also receive free access to uh, Champions Cup. The final two rounds of the World Championship, MVP Open, and the Women's United States Disc Golf Championship. So um, that's cool um, player experience. So this is this you get to play at a discounted rate. We're not going to charge you ten dollars for playing in a tournament. Great, you get to track your improvement because you're going to get a rating. Boys and girls, ratings are broke. And I have a hot take that ratings are going to get replaced by another company in an episode I want to get Trenton on to talk about. But ratings are broke and hopefully will be going away. So next thing, event support. PDJ memberships fund the PDJ support of tournament directors and organizers via dedicated staff and event management tools, making the playing experience better for all ages and ability levels each the event support team works seven days a week, providing real live support to keep 8,900 plus PDJ events running smoothly. This is a significant uh, initiative for 2023 and beyond. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, I'll give them that. That's probably good if you're playing in tournaments, but again, that only applies if you're playing in tournaments. Um, and then there's the whole your membership, your voice, you get a vote. I mean, come on. You get a vote on the direction that you want the PDJ to go, and uh, that's that's great. If yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, additional discounts to benefit members while they play. Um, so members are given discounts at various organizations. So let's see here. Oh wow, it doesn't even say which ones. Oh, there's a link. Let's click this link, um, and I'll tell you how many of these you'll probably use in your everyday. Life. Office Depot. When's the last time you went to an Office Depot? Oh, that's it. Oh, nope. Here we go. Um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. That one might actually not be that bad, but you're getting a 5% discount. 5% is better than nothing. So, cool. Uh, Red Roof Inn. Getting a 20% discount. Motel 6. You are getting a 10% discount. Glasses on web. When's the last time you went to that website? 10% discount. Printastic. I will ask the same question. When is the last time you went to that website? You're going to get a 20% discount, though. Disc golfers code. Um, yep, that's really about it. So not going to use Printastic, not using glasses on the web. I'm not staying at a Motel 6. I'm not staying at a Red Roof Inn. Plus, I have other apps that can get me better discounts than that anyways. Enterprise, that one might actually not be that bad. But again, it's only 5%. So you're really not saving a lot. And Office Depot. Who's going to Office Depot nowadays? So I'm not trying to sit here and bash. Like They've done a great job with these companies to make those things happen. And if you're traveling and I can see how staying at a Red Roof or a Motel 6 might be good. I'm not saying those places are bad. I'm just saying I don't stay at enough hotels or motels to where that is a value to me. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, they're going to tell you technology and tools and that, you know, the, the, the app that 
scores, the scorecard and all that stuff is all good. And then growth and goodwill. Um, so they say in 2022, the PGDJ has gained more than 44,000 members. That's 19% growth in total of active members. And they sanctioned 8,900 events worldwide. What are they using this money to grow? Like all this money that's coming in, what are they doing to grow the sport of disc golf? The PDGA, from what I'm reading on this site, cannot tell me what they're doing to grow the sport of disc golf. They do have youth and education outreach, so they're creating opportunities, including a grant program for competitive junior disc golf with an emphasis on learning, playing, and enjoying the sport. I would love to look more into that, and that's probably something I need to do on my own um, because I know there's places like you play. They do a fantastic i don't know if that's in partnership with the pdj or the pdj pays them to do that so i need to look at that um they've got this macro polo grant program supporting the introduction and development of disc golf into new countries around the world that's cool i don't know is that in partnership with the paul Macbeth foundation maybe maybe not um yes putting disc golf into new countries is good um but paul Macbeth. That foundation is doing that. There's other pros who are working on that. Um, I, I don't. There's no statistics whatsoever talking about how they're doing that or how many they've accomplished or anything like that. There's an international disc golf center upkeep of the disc golf's permanent home. Okay, that's great. Um, so, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, for being a numbers and accounting guy. I have to see a balance sheet. I have to see where is this money going. I have to get actual stats on how much they're actually helping grow the sport other than changing their logo and saying that they're doing these things. We should be holding the PDGA accountable. So I'm sorry if my opinion is hot take, it's out there, people don't agree with it. I am not saying... The growth of the sport is a bad thing. I'm not saying the PDJ is evil. I'm not saying you shouldn't play tournaments. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying I want to see more from them. And if they provide more, then maybe it's worth it. Because right now, it just feels like you're throwing money at something that they're saying they're going to do all these things. I and I and when I a couple of the fact that I don't believe in ratings. I think ratings are broken. Um, and I, I just, yeah, guys, I, I mean, talk to me. I want to, I got to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I, if I'm alone, tell me if I'm blowing smoke, tell me if you agree with me, tell me, I, I want to hear from you guys. Cause I feel a little bit like a broken record and, uh, you know, these are my thoughts. This is how I feel. These can be swayed. I'd love to hear from you guys on what you think. And, and, you know, the, the gentleman that, uh, Christopher, he makes some good points. His investment is in disc golf for the future of the game. That's great. I just want to see how the PDJ does that. I'm not just buying what the PDJ is selling at face value. I want to see how they're doing that. And maybe that's on me and I haven't done enough research and I need to do more research. I'm not putting that out of the question, but I just would like to see more. Um, and like I said, we're going to have an episode with uh, Horatio coming up pretty quick. And it's a good one, guys. And it, and it really is going to be talking about uh, about something that I think is going to replace ratings. And so I, I, I don't want to go into it too much. So uh, I'll, I'll read one more and then we'll get out of here. So this one comes from Ashley Wien, Wiener, 
hopefully I'm not butchering that. Um, they say, in Australia, Melbourne, and Victoria especially, we have a problem with players who refuse to sign up for the PDJ so no one can track their rating and openly admit it. They continue to play MA4-3 for years until the rare TD has the time and will do anything about it and contact them to move up. I know this isn't common I know this isn't uncommon anywhere, but the word of mouth stuff I get tells me it affects players will travel to tournaments in our state knowing they will just get sandbagged out of a fair fight, which affects our ability to hold high-level events. I definitely see how this seems like a cash grab in the areas of ruling is proposed to take effect. However, the with fees for organized sport for adults... Being in the realm of three to four hundred dollars per year for sports like Aussie rules, soccer, cricket, and Wednesday night basketball leagues, costing approximately twenty dollars a game, I don't see how twenty dollars a year is objectable. I don't understand the argument from the U.S. cultural perspective, perhaps, but would welcome this in the in AU. Um, let's read another one here. Um, so this one. This guy said, does this impede me from playing tournaments while going on? Uh, I don't think so. Um, this comes from Ian Griffith that it shouldn't. You typically can't play tournaments while, uh, or you can't play courses while tournaments are going on. So, yeah, that shouldn't really impact you. Um, Angus, or Agus, uh, said, why not just get a PDGA number? Asking seriously, why is it a big deal? Um, and so... Yep, went over that one already. Let's see, what else do we have? Um, that might be it, guys. Um, this guy, Kevin Whipple, he uh, just said, why don't people get one? Are they in poverty? Um, maybe. I am, so I'm good. Um, this guy, Sam. Sam, let me read his whole name here. Sam Sam Squatch, that's awesome. Sigun, hopefully I pronounced that correct, uh, said, I just looked at tournaments to play today. Seemed like a lot of money to pay for a course. Most of them are free to play and a disc you don't throw. That is very fair, especially coming from an amateur side of your player pack. It's just a disc you're probably never going to throw anyways. And so it's a lot of money to play a course that you could play the day prior or the day after for free and it really comes down to you want to be there for the competition, you're there for the tournament, um, all those things. And I would love to get more data, and maybe I just don't have it, of how running a tournament, how much of that goes back to the PDJ, how much of that goes to the tournament director, or all those kinds of things. And maybe, again, like I said, that's on me. And like this whole episode, I could be wrong. I could be blowing smoke, and I want you to call me out if I am and so that we can have that open and honest discussion because that's how we feel at this brand. We want to be honest with you guys. We don't want to just because we are a disc golf brand that wants to see the growth of disc golf, just be like, Oh, the PDGA, we have to love and support them. We should be able to check the PDGA. We should be able to challenge the PDGA just like you should be able to challenge me and my thoughts on this topic. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, that is really it. Will I be playing another MPO tournament? Maybe. Maybe not. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know in the comments. Subscribe if you haven't already. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Chanklerkers Disc Golf. And we'll see you guys next week.